morning as we dive into God's Word. On the back of your bulletin, it's left blank for you to take sermon notes. I'm going to ask you to turn your bulletin over. There's a pen right in front of you. <clears throat> Excuse me, you can grab a pen and uh, uh, go ahead and uh, get ready to receive from the Lord. My throat's a little funny this morning. I feel good, but my throat's, my throat's funny. I guess I'm just not used to being back from sabbatical yet. So we'll just have to give me a few more weeks, and then I'll be running and shouting, and, and it'll be good. But uh, when have you ever seen me run and shout? I don't know. But um, <clears throat> it's good to be together. It's good to be together. We're actually in a sermon series called The Christian Life. It, it's, yes, the name of our church, but over my sabbatical, again, not with any clear direction, just waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Holy Spirit, just saying, God, what do you want to speak? I just began to, to study and journal, and just, I believe, God led me through uh, an idea of what is the heart of New Testament discipleship. What is the essential Christian life? And so these are some essentials that we're going to be looking at over these few weeks. And last week, uh, we began with talking about Jesus, because Jesus is the essential part of the Christian life. We wouldn't have a Christian life without Jesus. And so, why did Jesus come? That's what we looked at last week. If you weren't here, you can go online and listen to it, but it's very simple. Jesus said it in his own words, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to find you. I came not just to find you, but I came to make you new, so that you can be born again, a brand new creature that you can overcome. So he came to seek and save the lost. Then he came, it also says, to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy sin and the power of sin. He, guess what? And we talked about it with communion. The battle has been won. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And then finally, words in red, he says in John 10, I have come that you might have abundant life. He came to give us abundant life. That's why Jesus came. That's an essential part of the Christian life. That's what we hold on to. That's why Jesus came, and that's what we embrace, and that's why we want to know Jesus. We want a relationship with Jesus. We don't want just a religion full of rules. We want a passionate relationship with Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. One of the essentials of the Christian life is passion. It's passion. I don't care if you look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, church history, you look at the great men and women of our faith, and you will see men and women of passion. I mean, you can look at their lives. I think of like Paul in the New Testament. Think of all that Paul went through. You can go to Acts chapter 16 when he is in prison, falsely accused, beaten, sitting there, and what does he do? He begins singing and praising God. And that's the passion, that's the kind of passion we see from people that are sold out, that are living this Christian life, sharing this Christian life. You go to the Old Testament and you look at someone like David who had a heart after God, and in the Psalms it says, Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. That's a picture of passion. A passionate pursuit of the relationship with God. Jesus tells us, unless we become like little children, we'll, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I loved having our children here last Sunday. Remember, they were up here and they were singing, they were dancing, they were shouting. I'm like, yes, the passion in the heart of a child. The Bible talks about leaping and dancing for joy. Have you ever been that happy in your life 
that you actually leapt for joy? I mean, is there a moment that you can think of in your life? But God describes our life as a life of passion, a passionate pursuit of him. And passion is important in life. This isn't on the screen, but this is a key thing. You might want to write this down. Life goes better with passion. Life goes better with passion. Our relationships will be better when we're passionate. Our work will be better when we're passionate. Every area of our life will be better if we're passionate. Passionate about the purpose that God has placed on our life. Passion is like that lighter fluid that just sets something ablaze. It fires you up. And when we're passionate, all of a sudden, everything else, all the other concerns of life starting getting really small because I'm so passionate, I'm so consumed by this one thing, everything else begins to fade. And when I have that passion, it doesn't matter even if I'm afraid, I'm still going to take that first step. I'm still going to believe that God is the God of the impossible, that something happens and I am transformed and I am changed and I'm a new person in Christ. Something happens when we're passionate. Now, what do we mean by passion? This is what I want to look at Mark chapter 12. I want to, I want to dive in here. What is passion? Because you say, Pastor Darrell, I'm not extroverted. I'm not outgoing. I don't show passion that way. I'm not wild and crazy. But passion is actually something much deeper. It's such something deeper, and I want to get to the heart of passion today. So in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, it says, one of the teachers of the religious Law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now we're going to pause right there. Jesus, which is the most important? There's over 600 laws that they had to follow in Jesus' time just to be clean, just to be right with God. Jesus, could you tell us which is the most important, which is the highest one, which is the weightiest one? We kind of need to know because we can't do them all. And Jesus is about to answer them, but he's not going to answer them with something fancy and something new. He's going to actually answer them with something very old. It's called the Shema. It's a prayer that Israel would pray. It's from the first word of the prayer, Shema. Hear, hear, O Israel. This would be a prayer that they would pray in the morning, they would pray in the evening, they would pray in the synagogue. This was their statement of faith, if you will. This was their prayer. And Jesus says, this is the most important. Look here in verse 29. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No command, no other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus says, you want to know the essential Christian life. The most important commandment is this, love God with everything you got. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor that way too. So it's real simple. If we had a statement of faith, if we had a prayer we needed to pray every day, it's I'm going to love you, God, and I'm going to love other people. And it's great. We're going to love other people at the end of services. We give to, to those that were, were affected by the hurricane. But let me tell you, we need to do this every day. We need to love God every day and love people every day. And guess what? God's love never runs out, so your love should never run out for the people around you. God is good and his love endures forever. And we need to picture that to this world. The devil tries to tell him, God's not good. He's not, no, he is good and his love 
endures forever. And so we love him. We love other people. That is our call. Now, I want to look at this in the Message Bible because they kind of tweak it just a little bit here in Mark chapter 12. And I love what's done here because it's to bring out some new ideas here about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So look at this in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 from the Message Bible. It says, so love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. And I like how he did that there with the love God with all your passion because passion is connected to our heart. If you want a definition of passion, it's not on the screen, but you can write this down. Passion is being wholehearted. Passion is being wholehearted. That's what it is. And that's what God wants. He wants your whole heart. See, God's passionate about you. Talked about it last week when God came to seek and save the lost. He has been chasing your heart from day one, and he will never stop chasing your heart. And I want you to know today that that he's still there. He just wants you to be passionate about him. He wants you to be wholehearted to him. Life goes better with passion, and it goes best when I'm passionate about God. That's what we're talking about, that passion, that wholeheartedness, having that passionate heart after God. So we see from the Bible, this is what we're called to do. So how do we do it? How are we going to live this out? A couple weeks ago, I was at lunch with my brother-in-law, Mark Bechtold, and we were, we were talking, and I was sharing a little bit about what we were going to talk about when it came to passion, and he started sharing some thoughts with me, and I'm like, man, that is so good. And, and, it, and it comes right from his life. And so I said, would you tag team with me? Like, you remember the WWE wrestlers, you just slap and tag, and, and that's what we're going to do right now. And so I asked him to come up and just talk about this part of it. This is where you may, may want to take the most notes. How do I do this? How does this work? And so here, Mark, come on in. Whoa, whoa. There we go. <laughs> supposed to cue the entrance music, like the old road warriors, but uh, anyway. Uh, well, I am so appreciative of this opportunity. i got to look at my time because I have a certain amount and I don't want everyone falling asleep on me. So uh, I am excited to talk about passion. And why I'm excited about that is because on the outside, I am not typically the most passionate person. And uh, a lot of times, um, like that didn't work really well in a dating relationship with uh, Jody and sometimes even in a marriage relationship. It's like, what is going on behind that face? And um, so I'm not outwardly the most passionate person. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that, that maybe you're not that extrovert. You're not that outwardly excitable person. But that doesn't state what passion really is. It's that inward drive. Um, I think of one of the most passionate people I know in my life is my dad. And my dad, if you know him, he's a very stoic person on the outside. But there is such a passion and a drive in there, a passion for God, a passion for his wife, for his family, uh, for his community. My dad is an extremely passionate person, but he will never be that guy jumping and clicking his heels and being excited like that on the outside. But such a passionate person. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now tomorrow, who can tell me Monday is what day? Labor Day, which for all you kids and some of you workers means what? Day off. Very good. So I, my kids, we have our work day all set to go to honor labor. No, don't worry. We won't do that. But um, 
It, tomorrow's Labor Day, and so Labor Day, you know, some of you are in mourning because that signifies the end of summer. Uh, for me, that's a very exciting moment because it brings on autumn coming up, and I love the season of autumn. That's my favorite season. Some of the things I love about autumn, I love football. Um, I love playoff baseball. As a White Sox fan, it doesn't really apply to me, but for you Cub fans, I'm excited for you because that's, what, that's what's going to be coming up. Uh, pumpkin everything. You go to Dunkin' Donuts and they, you can get pumpkin coffee, pumpkin napkins. I, you can get pumpkin everything at Dunkin' Donuts or any other places now. Um, one thing I love the most about fall is campfires. I love being outside, you know, in a hoodie and jeans around the campfire. And I love campfires. We do them all year round, but I love campfires because uh, you can toast marshmallows. Uh, you can hang out around the fire. There's great conversations around the fire. We at the Bechtold House, we love having our fires. Uh, a lot of stupid made-up songs get sung around the fire. Um, just a lot of fun is had around the fire. I love the smell of campfires. So while I talk, you will see there is a, a fire burning in the background. And um, anyway, I just uh, the, the idea of fires is exciting to me, and it relates in this way to passion. Because with building a fire... It's not just the lighting of the fire, but for me, it's all about the maintenance of the fire. So I, I think it may be a guy thing. I, I don't want to stereotype, but guys love to maintain fires. You know, don't mess with my fire. And um, it's, it's how we build it. So I don't know if you're a TP guy or if you like to stack them in a square like Lincoln Logs or how you like to build your fire, but I love maintaining a fire. Uh, and one thing that's involved with maintaining a fire is oxygen. So a lot of times during the fire, I'm down on all fours and I'm blowing on the fire, trying to get that spark to light up again. And, and, uh, and then, or maybe a, like a cardboard box, I'm waving on it, trying to stir those flames and to get it uh, to catch again. Because paper, twigs, or my kids' favorite leaves, they love throwing leaves in the fire because there's that initial flame. But it's not sustained. It's just that initial spark. But it's up to me to get down there and maintain the fire, get that log burning. And our passion for the things of God is like a campfire. It's not about that initial burst of excitement, but it's in, it's in sustained, enduring devotion. And Paul challenges his protege, Timothy, with this thought in 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Paul, passionate man, no more passionate man, on the outside or inside you will find in Scripture, is encouraging Timothy, who is at times timid, to fan into flame that passion. But it's not just for Timothy, because Scripture is very clear that all of you are unique. All of you are uniquely made. We are all made in God's image and likeness. The psalmist says that we are fearfully 
and wonderfully made. It goes on to say that we were knit together in our mother's womb. How intimate is that? When I think of the creation of us, it's not so much that we were made on an assembly line, but it's that we were created in an art studio by God. God has that much intimate involvement in our creation. And therefore, he's given us unique gifts. Each one of us that makes up the body of Christ is uniquely gifted for service. So what are your gifts? Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what your passions are? Have you ever really sat down and thought about it? Have you ever talked to God about it? To see how he wired you, what passions he put uniquely in you. Because I will tell you from experience, when you get the answer to that on what your passions are and what your spiritual giftings are, it will change your life. Not just in the church, but in everything you do. It gets filtered through those unique gifts and passions. A practical way you can do this is to take a, a spiritual gift assessment. I don't know if any of you have done that before. I'm sure many of you have. But uh, I just want to give you a website where you can find a test that helps determine what your spiritual giftings are. So if you take this test through prayer, it gives you great insight and it helps you know where you can serve. So if I've taken this, these tests in the past in my life, I've found out that my primary spiritual gifts are pastoring, shepherding, and showing mercy. I was waiting for an amen from my children on showing mercy, but uh, apparently that's not coming. Uh, but my primary gifts are pastoring and shepherding and showing mercy. Now, pastoring is not necessarily the title of being a pastor, but having that shepherd's heart and that shepherd's desire for everything I do, and then showing mercy. And the reason I bring this up to you is to share the example as to how my spiritual gifts have crossed over into my secular life. So even in my secular career, 20-year career of being a police officer, my gifts have set my course. And so now I'm at the point in my career where I look at the, the aspects of law enforcement that I'm involved with, and I see how my gifts of shepherding have translated into this. Uh, first off, I'm a training officer. So new officers come into the police department, they ride with me for a few weeks, and I train them how to be a police officer. There's shepherding involved with that. I'm there when they're at their scaredest point. I'm there when they do well. I'm there to encourage them, to help them, to scold them when necessary. But that is my job as a shepherd to new officers. I'm involved with the crisis intervention team, which is a, a, a section that we have that started to deal with people in the community that suffer from mental illness. And so we deal with people that are suicidal, uh, people that are autistic, that have a special need that maybe the police are not equipped to deal with in the past, but now we realize that's such a high percentage of the community. So there's pastoring and shepherding involved with that. And finally, a brand new program we just started, another officer and I went through it, and it's called Peer Support. And it's exactly that. It's supporting other police officers as they face tragic situations, whether in their personal life or some of the horrible things that we witness on a regular basis as police officers, oftentimes it's been just shove it down, shove it down, don't show your emotion, and just move on. But we know how unhealthy that can be. So the peer support team was developed to be there for other officers as they go through these uh, different trials and circumstances. 
So that is obviously an aspect of showing mercy, pastoring, shepherding. And I say this not just as a look at me, but I want to give you hope when you know what you're gifted in, you know what you're passionate in, no matter what your career, you can find ways to use those gifts. There's even been times in my career where I've passed on opportunities for promotion. Not saying it was a slam dunk I would get promoted, but opportunities to take the exams or whatever. And early on, that may have been because of fear and not wanting to take that risk. But as I've moved on, it's been as I pray over that, each time those opportunities come up, I feel like, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. I won't get paid as much, but I'm doing what I'm supposed to do because I'm doing what I'm called to do, and more importantly, what I am gifted to do. And I do shepherd and show mercy in all areas, even in writing tickets, arresting criminals, just talking with the public. I get to show mercy and pastor and shepherd people even through those experiences when they may be getting in trouble or doing something wrong. I had this come up yesterday. I wasn't going to share this, but just a brief moment because it applies here. But um, yesterday I was working and I made a traffic stop for someone that was speeding over 15 miles over the speed limit. Went up, talked to the person, and right away I could see that there was a wedge that was there. This person uh, was overly dramatic, hands on the steering wheel, um, kind of rolling his eyes as though he's been stopped before for reasons um, based on how he looks. And the way he was looking at me, I could tell that there was going to be some issues there with that stop. So this gentleman said, my hands are on the wheel. He said, you're not going to do anything, right? And I, I'm like, no, sir, I'm not. I just, but I appreciate you showing me your hands. And I said, I need to see your license and insurance. And he's like, I'm reaching in my glove box now, which I do appreciate when people do that. And then uh, he said, I'm opening the glove box now. He said, I'm reaching inside the glove box and moving papers. Is this okay with you, officer? Are you going to do anything to me? And I said, no, sir, I appreciate you telling me. I said, go ahead and do that. And I said, I need to see your license. I have it in my back pocket. Can I reach behind me? Are you going to do anything? He kept asking me, are you going to do anything? I said, no, I appreciate it. Just get your And so he got my license. And then he started, he gave me this speech about how he was not driving, he was traveling, there's a difference, and what right do I have? He wanted my name and my badge number. And, it was, and I've been through this several times before, and it was, it was contentious on his side, but throughout, I was going through my giftings, not intentionally, but I was having mercy on this person because I knew there's a reason this man was acting this way. So I went back, checked everything out, went back and talked to him, and I said, all right, sir, traffic stop is over. But I'd like to talk to you now. I said, obviously, there was some tension when I came up here. I said, I'm guessing you've had some bad experiences with the police in the past. And then he started telling me about some of the issues that he's gone through with the police, some of the times where he feels that he's been profiled, some of the issues that he... And so we got to talking, and I said, well, I see you live in Mount Prospect, and I hope you realize that that's not every officer. And I hope you realize that that is not how Mount Prospect handles our business with the police department. And he got it. So I gave him my name. I gave him my badge number, and I said, you know, you're, you're free to go. And uh, he reached out. He shook my head, shook my hand. His demeanor had totally changed. And it was not because of, I mean, I, mean, I guess it was the way I was being, but I, again, it's not a patting on the back. It was, it was a moment where I saw 
we're real people here. And I was able to filter through the gift of mercy and the gift of shepherding in that moment. So anyway, that's uh, the way that your gifts can be used in your secular world. So as a father, as a friend, as a mentor, as an employee, as a churchgoer, I am continually exercising my spiritual gifts. And that fans into flame the passion that I have. Do you look for areas to use your gifts in your life? In work, in church, in school, in your neighborhood, in your family, are you looking how you can use and exercise your spiritual gifts? Just like that spirit-led prayer we heard today, may we honor you with the decisions we make today. May that be our prayer. And our passions are fanned by, or they can be extinguished by, the people you associate with, what you read, what you watch, how you spend your time, your job. It might be a case where you're saying, I can't be in the job. God will not honor this job because it's not something that's honoring him. Maybe the position you're in at your work says, this is not an area where I am gifted. This is an area that's causing me grief instead of allowing me to come alive. And you need to switch positions. Maybe it's school, the classes you choose, or your attitude or your demeanor in your class. The good thing is all of these things are controllable by you. These are all things that we can take control of. And so, men, I just want to make a quick plug coming up for something that will fan the flame for you, and that's our Influence Seminar. It's September 23rd. I'm excited to bring these speakers in to fan the flame for you to inspire you, to motivate you, to teach you, to encourage you. Some things that I like about this seminar that have been very uh, deliberate by me is it's only a half day. You're out by 12.15. It's affordable in the way we have it here is you buy a ticket today or you buy a ticket leading up to it and you're from Christian Life Church, you get one to give away, to invite someone else to. Pray over that ticket. Maybe it's someone at Starbucks. Maybe it's another employee. Maybe it's your boss. These speakers that are coming are passionate, and they're interactive. You're not just sitting down listening for a whole morning, but it's interactive. The main speaker, Shane Holden, I can't wait for you guys to meet him, and he's going to be preaching at our weekend services too. That is an outwardly passionate man, but inwardly it's driven by that slow burn that he has. Dr. Rich Blue will be leading a session on influence in your family a licensed counselor who owns his own Christian practice. Uh, my dad, Russ Bechtold, will be leading a session on influence in the workplace. Pastor Tom Kennington from the Southside Christian Center, we know him, we support him here. He is talking about calling. That is a man who is in the trenches in the south side of Chicago, ministering to people. And then a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Brian Nelson, is going to be talking about influence in your relationships. You won't find a more passionate person about relationships. I met with him at Starbucks a couple weeks ago to talk about this, and it was probably 20 people that came in throughout the course of that time that he knew, gave up, get stood, shook hands, hugged, and all that. And I'm sitting there thinking, can we just talk here? But he is that kind of person, and I'm hoping that he can inspire you in that way. So three final questions, guys. Who can you invite to this? Who can you sponsor if you can't go or if you have extra money? I want to be able to invite as many people we can and have money be no object. And then how can you help? How can you use your gifts to help in this? So I'll be out in the lobby. 
Uh, if you have any questions about it, I'd love to see you and answer any questions or just meet you. And going forward, if you need help, if you want someone to help stand in the gap with you to fan your flames of passion, I want to be that for you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Mark. What a powerful testimony that he shared, and I, I hope, hope you caught it there. And You know, I just, I'm amazed when someone can look at a promotion or more money or whatever at work, has five kids, obviously needs to think about the future, all those things, and when it's like, yeah, but can I do what I was made to do, and you'd have to give some of those things up, it's like, I got to do what God made me to do. That's powerful. That's the type of passionate life we live. We only have a few more minutes together, and so I'm going to just talk about one more thing here, because and, and, sometimes in our life, and we know the passion's important, but sometimes the passion gets quenched. Mark talked about maintaining that fire, and sometimes it's just, it just gets put out. Sometimes there's no more fuel, there's no more oxygen, there's no more air, and sometimes our passions stray as well, and so let me just finish, and we're not going to turn in the Bible here. You can look at it if you want. It's in Exodus chapter 20. It's the, the Ten Commandments, and I just want to look at the first one, because when you look at the first commandment, it's like, why'd you put this one first, God? I mean, why'd you put one of the big ones, like, do not murder, do not commit adultery? That should be like the first one, right? Those are, those are pretty bad, right? And but God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Number one, no other gods before me. It's about our passion. No other gods before me. And then when you look in the Hebrew, and I don't want to unpack everything, but you could say it this way. I don't want any gods in front of me. I don't want any gods alongside of me. I don't want any gods instead of me. I don't want any gods competing with me. I don't want any gods before me. Yeah. Say, well, that sounds like a jealous God. Yes, he is. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for your heart. He wants your heart. Any other God that you would follow would destroy you. He wants your heart. And Israel was tempted, you can read about it in the Old Testament over again, to, to wander away, to stray away, to follow after other gods. And so God said, here's number one. No other gods before me. Before all the other big ones, no other gods before me. We get that one right, we're going to be doing okay. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 4, It is the Lord your God you must follow, and Him you must revere. Keep His commands and obey Him. Serve Him and hold fast to Him. Having no other gods before me is setting aside other things and loving God with everything you got. There's a quote that's been with me kind of my whole ministry. I remember hearing it as a young pastor. It's from a pastor named Don Fino, and it's this, that whatever you can't get enough of is your God. So if you can't get enough money, if you can't get enough sex, if you can't get enough Facebook, if you can't get enough sports, if you can't get enough Netflix, well, who's your God? But if you can't get enough of God... He's your God. He's your God. I have a confession to make. I've been exfoliating. I didn't know I was doing it. Um, we had gone to Lake Geneva, and uh, they had this pretty soap. 
um, in one of the stores, and it smelled really good. And I usually get my soap at the dollar store, so, um, so I bought this bar of soap. It was really big. It looked good, and it smelled good, and I got it home, I, and, and I, I started, and it felt like sandpaper. I'm not used to that. I'm like, oh, this is not good. But then the more I let, I'm like, oh, it's kind of, oh, yeah, all right, okay. And, uh, and, and so then we're, there, there's another pastor we were at, and he goes, he talks like, I've been exfoliating, and he describes it, and I turned to Leslie, me too, me too, I've been exfoliating. And, and, um, and the thing I love about it, you know what it is, it's basically you're getting rid of the dead garbage, you're getting rid of all the old dead skin, so it can be fresh, and it can be new, and that's what we have to do with the Lord. Because sometimes the fire goes out. And we got to get rid of the dead things. we got to add some fuel to that fire. we got to blow on the fire, rearrange the... We've got to fan into flame. we got to give our heart back to God. We have to say, there is no other God before you. So clean it up. One of the essentials of Christian life is passion. Life is better with passion, but your life will be the best when you're passionate about God. No other gods before Him. Let me tell you this. Be in church, absolutely, but go to things like the Influence Seminar. Men, sign up today. Women, you guys have already sold out for your conference, but I know there's a women's Bible study starting in two weeks, and I asked Jerry, can we please have a sign up? Because I want women to be a part of this with other like-minded women. There's other small groups in the church. Get involved. Be a part of this. Get your passion fanned into flame with other people around you. And then the greatest way you can do that, if you follow Jesus and you have never been baptized, in two weeks, come on out. We're going to have a baptismal service. Sign up for it today. You might not see any names on that sign up. That's because we already have names upstairs. We're just adding more to it. If you've never been baptized, get baptized. Because that's saying to the world, it's saying to heaven, it's saying to hell, I belong to Jesus. He has my heart. There's no other gods before me. The most important thing about our passion is that there will come a day when you die and they will talk about you and you will be remembered for your passions. You will be remembered for your passions. And what will your family say about you? What will your friends say about you? What will everyone say about you and your passions? Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? We want to give the Holy Spirit space here just at the end to speak to us. We want to have a passionate heart after God, to be wholehearted to the Lord. We want to know why he created us, why he made us, and fan that into flame. And no matter what it costs us, we're going to do that. Because I'm going to tell you, when you are living your passion, there's nothing better. Life just goes better with passion. But whatever you can't get enough of, that's your God. And so it's time to say, the only thing I can't get enough of is God. There is no other God before him. And maybe it's as simple as just declaring that and going out and loving God and loving other people. Maybe it's giving in the offering in a couple minutes. Maybe it's signing up for an event. Maybe it's signing up to be baptized. I don't know what it is for you. But this is important because when it's all said and done, you will be remembered for your passions. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, fill this place. Challenge us. 
Jesus, you have sowed seed into our heart this morning. May it find good ground. May we be wholehearted, passionate for you. Lord, may we have the passion to take the next step, to do the hard thing, that whatever it takes, there will be no other gods before you. And may our family and our friends, when they speak of us, may our children and our grandchildren say, they were wholehearted. They loved God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they loved their neighbor as themselves. That is our confession. That is our creed. That is our calling. We embrace that essential part of the Christian life today. But we can't do it without your power, Holy Spirit. So come, fill us, and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It begins with following Jesus. And so if you today are, are, are not a follower of Jesus and you've been invited by a friend, I'm just going to invite you to grab a bag up front. There's a Bible in there that explains what it means to follow Jesus and prayers for you to pray. All that's in that bag. It's free. I want you to take that. If you're witnessing to a friend, you could take one to a friend. Just come back next week. Keep learning about what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, so that's there for you. And uh, there's brand new uh, devotionals in the lobby. We need to spend time with God every single day. This is a great way to jumpstart your day, spend time with God. Uh, hopefully you got that in the mail. If you didn't, it's in the lobby. If you want a couple more for neighbors and friends, it's in the lobby. Um, grab that and take that. You can sign up for everything in the lobby, but right now we are going to receive that offering before we go um, for those uh, that have been affected by the hurricane, and we're going to pray for them as the men and women come forward. Lord, we've seen devastation, uh, pictures and videos, and we've heard stories that, that seem absolutely hopeless. But God, our hope is in you, and there's nothing impossible for you. And so, Lord, we give today with cheerful hearts and grateful hearts, and we give to you, and God, we pray that you would get this money to the people who need it. And Lord, for those who have lost their church home, may it be rebuilt. For those that have lost their homes, may they be rebuilt. May every supply be met. Lord, in the name of Jesus, be glorified in the midst of tragedy. Because God, you say in your word that you work everything together for our good. And so we stand on that today and we give so that others may be helped. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we give this morning, uh, our kids uh, have snuck back into service here, and uh, they're coming in. We have a big announcement before the end of service, and that's this. We are adding a new staff member to our church, and so I would like to give to our church my son, Luke, as the director of our children's ministry. Um, Come on up, Luke. Come on up. He's a... Uh... Yeah, there you go. Wow, how about that? That's cool. That's so much better than when they boo, because yeah. that's normally what they do for me when I come up. No, I'm just kidding. But 
Uh, Luke is actually, he's been in, in Bible school. He's a junior this year at Christian Life College. He has been interning with Pastor Fred for a long time and uh, helping in so many different areas. And we had actually met as elders earlier in the year and talked about bringing Luke on uh, staff here at the church. Uh, but it actually all really accelerated this summer when I took my sabbatical because Pastor Fred, who normally leads our children, uh, had to assume my role here in, in the sanctuary. And so Luke really took over children's ministry and from what I hear, did a phenomenal job. And the kids, parents, everyone rallied. And so when I got back, it was like an easy decision. Now's the time. And I'm going to invite Pastor Fred to come up because uh, it's always a little awkward when you put your son uh, on staff. But I want to tell you, he is, and I mean this, he is the right man for the job. And he's the right man for this house. And uh, Pastor Fred, uh, somebody who's not family, if you don't mind sharing uh, a thought, that would be great. So. I'm uh, very excited to uh, welcome Luke to the gang here, <laughs> and uh, he has proven himself to be uh, amazing. Uh, actually, the real reason we're bringing him on staff is because he's taller than six feet, so uh, <laughs> it's required. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I just want to share a real quick story, though, that happened when Luke was about 10 years old. He uh, he. He came to me and he said, Pastor Fred, I want you to do this. And I said, Luke, I'm not doing that. I have no intentions of doing that. And his response was, if you don't do this, I'm going to have my dad fire you. <laughs> um, and I thought, really? That, that would be amazing. Um, really? Uh, he has since grown out of that annoying arrogance and he is now taken on this amazing uh, heart of a servant, and uh, we had an amazing time of ministry together uh, at kids camp, and Luke is just such an, a blessing to me personally as a person to work with, as I, it was great that the message today was about passion, because that's Luke, he's just passionate, we're yeah. probably going to have to slow him down a little bit at times, <laughs> but uh, I am and I'm really thankful that he's stepping in because now I will no longer be the oldest children's pastor in the United States. So uh, thank God for that. But we will still work together very closely. Uh, I'll still oversee Awana, and he will assist me in that area. But uh, we'll be, you'll see Luke in and out of services at times. There'll be times I'll step into kids' ministry on a Sunday and uh, different people, Megan Stubbe is very helpful in that area as well, but we're, uh, I'm really, really excited about the future because Luke is God's man for this hour, yes, yes. and I thank God for Amen. him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Fred. So, um, so we're going to be dismissed with a blessing, but we're also going to bless Luke, uh, and so I'm going to invite the elders to come and stand behind Luke. This isn't a, a licensing or ordination or anything like that. Uh, this is just recognizing uh, Luke as a uh, leading our children's ministry now and on staff. So I'm going to ask you to stand for the blessing of the Lord. This morning we're going to bless all of us, but we're going to bless Luke as well. Um, anybody having a birthday in the month of September, would you raise your hand? If you're having a birthday in the month of September, raise it up high, raise it up high, raise it up high. 
Okay, we want to bless you this month because it is your birthday month. And so whoever has their hands up, just put your hand on their shoulders right now. Just walk around. You, gotta, you might have to do it. We're going to pray a blessing because you were created for a purpose and for a reason, and you need to be blessed in your birthday month. We're going to bless Luke as well. But for all of us here, beloved, we are one week closer to heaven. Are you ready? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you for that blessing that rests upon us. We do not earn it. It is just given to your children. And God, we thank you for that. Lord, we pray for those this month that are having a birthday. God, would you bless them this month? Will you just reveal to them your goodness in a new, fresh way? God, I pray that you just bless them with parties and, 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 and presents and just let them know how much they're loved. And God, we just thank you for them. We just bless them, whether they're our children or their grand, our grandparents. We bless them today in this house. And Lord, we recognize your hand upon Luke. We recognize that he is a gift from God to our children. And God, we thank you for just sending him this way. I thank you for allowing him to express his gifts. I thank you for his passion, Lord, to serve you. And Lord, we just lay our hands on him now that he will be anointed for the task ahead. And God, we just pray a blessing upon him. Lord, be with us this week that we may love you wholeheartedly, that we may love other people. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us safe and strong until we can gather together again as the church and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.